Well, the optimism at the end of last week has completely disappeared. All we know about the Ukraine invasion is that it, it dominates everything right now, and it's more uncertain than ever. Putin has spelt out the nuclear word again, but there are talks whether they'll achieve anything, and sanctions are much stronger, including the removal of most Russian banks from the SWIFT banking system. The aim is to do serious damage to the Russian economy, presumably in the hope the Russian people will overthrow their leader rather than have him overthrow the Ukrainian leader. It's a mess, basically. So how will the markets respond? We'll look at all of that today, this Monday, the 28th of February, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, there was certainly a shift back to risk on at the end of last week. The initial response to the Ukraine invasion was short-lived, it seems, but we're already seeing that that, that recovery itself has been short-lived because there's uh, been plenty of news to instigate a very different mood this morning. We're already seeing that in currencies. But on Friday, the S&P 500 was up 2.2%, meaning over the whole week, a week in which Russia invaded a European democracy. The S&P still managed to climb 0.8%. The Dow was up 2.5% on Friday. The Nasdaq up 1.6%. Even bigger uh, rises closer to the action. The DAX was up 3.7% on Friday, although even with that recovery, it was still down over 3% over the week. The FTSE 100 up 3.9% on Friday, down just 0.3% over the week. So you can see there where the impact was really being felt. On currencies, well, the US dollar was down half percent on the DXY on Friday. The Aussie was up 0.9%. The euro up 0.7%. It's a very different story this Monday morning, though. Already the Aussie dollar is down 0.7%. The euro has lost 1% straight away. Uh, Ray Atchell will talk us through what we can expect today. But basically on currencies, if they're doing well on Friday, they're down today. Quickly, though, bond yields. Not much movement in the US on Friday, but German 10-year bonds uh, were up six basis points. And oil Brent, that had peaked over $105 last week, was down below $98 on Friday, a 1.2% fall on the day. WGI fell 1.3%. I wonder if that'll be a different picture this week. So, Ray, think back to Friday. I mean, although we knew it looked like it could be a long and bloody war, sanctions weren't as far-reaching as many had expected. But now they are, aren't they? Over the weekend, the inclusion of the Swift Bank messaging system for, for most transactions, that's going to hurt Russia. Supposedly, uh, it's going to be done in a way that won't stop energy supplies. I'm not really quite sure whether that will be the case. Uh, but supplies are holding up right now, aren't they? But tell me about the impact of this. Is this a game changer? Well, I think potentially it is, yes. Morning, Phil. So um, I think, as you've you know, accurately said in, in the intro there, um, you know, reason for or one key reason for the, the vigor of the, the, the turnaround in risk sentiment and, and the rally that we saw both in European and um, U.S. stocks, I think, was on the, the view that the sanctions that were announced on sort of Thursday night and Friday morning um, weren't nearly as draconian as I think markets were, were sort of braced to expect, um, you know, and particularly the exclusion of um, um, the the, the SWIFT um, global payment system from the list of sanctions was uh, was certainly one of those reasons. And, and obviously that is, uh, that's uh, been turned on its head over the weekend. Although, as you say, the fact that it uh, doesn't apply to all Russian banks presumably does mean that there is going to be some kind of conduit to allow Europe to continue to uh, to trade in oil and gas with Russia. That remains to be seen, of course. And then the other big uh, development was the, the ban on um, the Russian central bank. So sanctions have been applied in the headlines in the last sort of 15 minutes of saying that uh, effectively, you know, the rest of the world is not going to be dealing at all with Russia's central bank. And to the extent that that locks it out of accessing its, what, $643 billion worth of FX reserves, 
um, you know, has major implications both for the ability of the uh, of the Russian uh, central bank to defend the ruble, which uh, hasn't yet opened, but I assume is going to be uh, under sort of some sort of uh, crisis stroke freefall to the extent that it can still trade without uh, banks having access to SWIFT. Um, you know, and we're already seeing, you know, pressure on risk assets. So we're seeing the, the Aussie dollar is already, you know, half a percent or so weaker than it was. And maybe the other sort of reason um, for the market reaction is the sort of an assumption that I think is probably being exposed as naive that uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's ambitions in invading Ukraine uh, stopped at, um, you know, wanting to depose the Ukrainian government and have some sort of a puppet government um, mm. installed in its place. And then it's sort of job done. But I think everything I'm putting over the weekend suggests that, um, you know, his, his ambitions, are, his ego-driven ambitions, if you like, may extend well beyond that, so, you know, in particular, potentially restoring the um, Orthodox Christian kingdom of, of Rus, which would include Belarus, it would include um, areas of Kazakhstan, but uh, all the ethnic Russian areas of Kazakhstan. So, you know, I think this idea that this was all about NATO, um, you know, and, and assurances that, um, you know, Russia wasn't going to have NATO troops parked on its border, I think is being exposed. And, uh, and I think that also, um, you know, perhaps plays to a, a much more febrile um, or risk negative environment this week. Yeah, well, we are. I mean, who knows how it's going to play out? I mean, what, let's give a one bit of positive news. There's a lady called Bridget Kendall who was on the uh, BBC News over the weekend. She was a former Moscow correspondent. Her take on why, uh, why they haven't taken Kiev uh, so far, and in fact, really taken any cities, uh, when you would have thought the Russian army would be far stronger than people who've just managed to get hold of a Kalashnikov and were trying to defend their neighbourhood. Uh, the reason was because uh, Putin realised he hasn't got a valid excuse for a full invasion in the eyes of the Russian people. You know, uh, she talked about mothers who've having their sons conscripted to fight a war they don't believe in. Uh, and, you know, how popular is that going to be for the Russian leader? So the negotiations that we're seeing that are going to happen uh, later on today uh, in Belarus are an attempt to try and find it out was sort of her take i don't know you know i'm I'm sure i'm sure that's a very optimistic outlook because of course putin's also saying that he's uh ramping up the readiness of their nuclear uh weapons as well um so and that's the other argument isn't it if he's not making progress because people are fighting more than he expected then what is he going to do next? I mean, he may not press the nuclear button, but there's this this fear of these uh, thermobaric weapons, which uh, sort of like send shock waves and kill everybody in 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 their path. Uh, so you know, who knows? It, it, what we do know is it's not going to be the same as today. Is it? it's either going to get worse or it's going to get better? No, absolutely. So uh, no, so uh, that's an interesting uh, observation on that piece that you read there, and I haven't read that, but certainly there's been enough of anecdotal evidence of sort of protests in the streets of Moscow and. Uh, you know, some of the actions, this is not a, not a time for trivia, but, um, you know, Russia being excluded from the Eurovision Song Contest is just one small example of, you know, the rest of the world pouring opprobrium on uh, on Vladimir Putin. And you know, all of these things may be contributing to, yeah. um, you know, to the lack of public well, support. Well, and the World Cup. They may win the World Cup because no one wants to play them. You know, they might get a bye right through to the final and, and win the World Cup without, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure how people would take to that either. But, I mean, is, is it going to – so how are the markets going to play this then? Because, I mean, historically, if we look at, you know, other major crises, you know, there's, there's that initial response – uh, and it might last a week or two weeks, but then it comes, you know, it comes back. People realize the, the implications are not as great as they first thought and uh, life returns to normal. Is that going to happen this time? I mean, what is different this time, of course, is this is a crisis on top of a crisis. I mean, we, you know, we, uh, we, we're, we're still suffering 
the recovery from COVID and having this thrown on top perhaps prolongs the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, in terms of crisis on crisis, one of the other things to note, and I think, you know, what remains to be seen is how does this play out, particularly in, in energy markets, both oil yep. and gas and the comparisons with history. Um, um, and we put out a, a research note over the weekend that uh, hopefully clients have received, you know, really notes that, you know, historically we haven't seen things like the spikes in oil prices and weakness in stock markets um, and even weakness in the Australian dollar have tended to sort of peter out relatively quickly. But but one key difference uh, between the current situation and on those occasions is that um, the oil market in particular was already extremely tight uh, going into this. Um, and so we don't yet know, you know what it's going to be the fate of, of sort of Russian oil and gas getting onto markets. Although of some note um, you know, on Friday or Saturday is that uh, Russia has... Um, has uh, ceased its ban on Russian wheat, which has been in place for many times on sort of biosecurity China, China grounds. Has. China, China has, yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Is that telling you that uh, effectively yeah. Russia is now, or China is now going to be the buyer of first or, or last resort for that matter uh, of yeah. all commodities coming out of Russia and that actually the market's going to be no tighter, um, you know, in the future than it, than it was prior to this. So, um, so. Certainly some nuances, I think, that uh, that needs to be uh, respected. At the same time, uh, as I say, to the extent that the ruble will, uh, will will trade, it's going to be in free fall. And almost inevitably, we're going to see pressure on sort of emerging market risk metrics. And that is a, you know, a key consideration for, for things like the Australian dollar, for example. So, um, you know, I, I just, you know, overall, I think, it, uh, you know, risk sentiment is clearly going to be, you know, I would assume is going to be under some extreme pressure in the early part of right. this week. And the, that's where the flow through to markets will come right but does the aussie dollar really have to be in the same bucket as the emerging markets this time because it is such a different economy which is so strong and is shielded from uh, from a lot of this and what and what about uh linked to that question what about the equities because i mean if we find the s&p does quite well the aussie dollar often does well on the on on the back of that and it could it be that people turn to equities because where else does the money go if it's, if it's not going to go into commodities because that's too risky? It's going to go into into the equity markets, isn't it? Well, well, history tells you it goes into the safe haven that is the U.S. dollar and, and usually U.S. Treasury securities. But um, so I think that's one thing. The other thing, specifically on the Aussie dollar, is its sensitivity to risk historically is less to do with what's happening with the U.S. stock market and it's much more to do with what's happening in emerging markets. And, you know, the story of of the last couple of weeks has really been that, um, um, you know, the strength that we've seen in commodity prices, which to some extent is directly linked to the sort of building, you know, geopolitical stress, um, has actually been providing a measure of protection for the currency in the face of deteriorating risk sentiment, but also EM or emerging market risk metrics have actually held up much better than the likes of the the S&P or the NASDAQ, for example. So there's been certainly been a two-way force there, and the interplay of those, you know, is going to be important. But ultimately, if we did see, you know, a major correction in, in risk sentiment in all its guises, um, that would almost certainly be the dominant influence as far as the Aussie dollar is concerned. Right. So uh, a lot of demand for U.S. Treasuries and a lot of demand for the for for the U.S. dollar. So that's where all the strength would be. 
Potentially, yes. And then obviously the other big question that's now being raised is, you know, what does this mean for central bank policy? Obviously, we're, yeah. you know, some central banks have My already started question. the process. But, uh, yeah. um, because, I mean, it's going to, it is going to mean slower GDP, even if we have inflation. It's not, I mean, so we get back to that. We, we mentioned the stagflation word last week. Uh, but, I mean, can they can central banks really lift interest rates if they're seeing that this rising chance that stagflation could be a thing later this year? Well, it certainly, you know, it certainly is the case that historically central banks have looked through inflation that comes from a spike in oil prices, for example. And if we do see upward pressure there, um, as I had written the word stagflation, we always recoil every time we sort of it comes halfway out of our mouth and then we put it back in, don't we? But I, I think you'd have to say that it's much less of a tail risk uh, and it's moving to a little bit closer to the centre of, of the radar. But um, and we had various central bank commentary over the weekend. We had James Bullard. We had Christopher Waller. We had Christopher the guard from the ECB, and they're all acknowledging um, the risks that there is going to be some impact on, on growth. Um, Lagarde says in terms of uncertainty and how that plays to both consumer spending and business investment, but, um, but without saying that that necessarily has implications for ECB policy. But that will be important because if ECB plans or certainly the rhetoric that suggests that they, you know, they're going to make a fairly substantial change or a hawkish tilt as early as their March 10th meeting, um, you know, that is a very positive euro development as and when we get through this period of geopolitical stress. And, and that has implications for the broad dollar and has implications for the Aussie dollar. Um, now, if, if those plans get put on hold, then, um, you know, that could feed through potentially to, uh, to a US dollar that will remain stronger for longer. Yeah, it's looking more and more likely that way, isn't it? Uh, so inflation wasn't going away anyway. Uh, it's going to get worse, presumably. But you, so we saw US core PCE on Friday, 5.2% up uh, uh, from 4.9%. Um, the, the non-core figure for, for January was 6.1% up from 5.8%. Uh, France's CPI number uh, was quite a bit higher as well. And producer prices for January up as well. Wherever we look, we're seeing inflation numbers rising. But I mean, I mean, I don't just know how useful these numbers are now, given that the world's been turned on its head. Well, I think I think they are useful, and I think at the, you know, depending obviously on what what transpires in the next week or two, um, I think it's still far more likely than not that central banks will proceed. Um, you know, it probably makes the, you know the, the chances of a fifty basis point first move from the Fed, you know, that much smaller at least anyway. But um, you know, I think that, that the central banks will still be saying, look, we've got tail risk to the outlook, but uh, inflation is so high and it's continuing, as you know, the, you know. Big French upside surprise. So inflation is clearly going to get higher before it gets lower in many parts of the world. And, you know, I think central banks are sort of on a bound to, 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 to start the process of tightening if they haven't done so already. And then if there is going to be a big economic fallout and, and um, then, you know, there's going to be, dare I say it, an, another role for fiscal policy as well as monetary policy down the track. Yeah. yeah. Uh, push up those balance sheets. So uh, imagine there was no war in Ukraine, where we'd be looking at Australian retail sales for January today, wouldn't we? And how, how they were picking up from that uh, that fall in in December. Uh, but we haven't got time to talk about it today. But but we've also got the RBA tomorrow. What are they going to say in the midst of all of this? Well, I think they've, they've been pretty much. You know, I don't think there's going to be any change of the message effectively for now. Is that that patience is still the watchword, and then you know, doubtless even more even so more in terms of, yeah. of the outlook there. And uh, GDP numbers will get on Wednesday, but uh, very backward should be should be good, but very much backward looking. So I think we're looking more at um, 
you know, the incoming US data, we get ISMs, we get payrolls, we get Powell speaking a couple of times. We get the Bank of Canada on Wednesday. Still, uh, that will be an interesting, it'll be the first sort of test. Obviously, the RBNZ went last week, but uh, is, the, is the Bank of Canada going to blink as sort of next cab off the rank mm. as far as what's happening geopolitically? So uh, plenty to, plenty going on outside of, of, of the main uh, the main focus of markets. Meanwhile, we'll see how these talks go in Belarus and whether anything at all comes out of that. Um, uncertain times, that's for sure. Uh, good to talk, Ray. Catch you again very soon. Thanks. Well, thanks, Phil. We can certainly expect a volatile day, can't we, on the markets? That's it for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow. I'll see you then.